Welcome to Best Me Radio. I'm your host, Carl Hammington, and I talk to experts in many areas, including movement, psychology, nutrition, as well as other inspiring people who have done extraordinary things, all in an attempt to provide you with the information, inspiration, and tools that will empower you to step into the best version of yourself. Welcome back, Best Me community, and thanks for hanging in there. I know it's been a while in between innings, and I appreciate you sticking with me. Um, There's been a couple of big projects on the go. We've opened up a new gym facility over in Martinborough, just out of Wellington. Um, So I've been involved behind the scenes in organizing some content and systems around that. Uh, Also alongside our Spring into Summer Challenge, which has just kicked off. So today's guest um, is Bart DeVries. So he will be the new co-host on Nice Nuggets, um, which will be a monthly recording on a targeted subject. Uh, You had a little preview um, and intro to Bart last time, but in this episode we learn a little bit more about him. Uh, We learn a little bit more about what drives him. Uh, Today we discuss some really interesting and very, very important topics uh, ones that you know we shouldn't ignore, like environmental business um, or ethical business, I should say. Um, we talk about how to set up your your environment to maximise your wellness and also uh, make good decisions. So yeah, please enjoy this episode and keep stepping into the best version of yourself. Hi, my name is Bart DeVries and I am a physio turned furniture designer, uh, working on preventative health solutions in the workplace. And a complete weirdo, I and might a, add. Yeah, complete weirdo. Yeah, and I appreciate Move, that. That's, why I, lo- that's why I love you. That's yeah. why I love you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was a lot in one sentence um, and a lot we can explore right there. Um, so first of all, I want to get a little bit more of an insight uh, into your background. So where did you grow up and how did that sort of um, create your values and your, your drive, your obvious passion that you've got towards movement today? I grew up in uh, the Hawke's Bay, east coast of New Zealand, um, in a little town called Te Awana, uh, which was a coastal town. Um, I, my, I grew up with my mother, uh, who both my mother and father were art therapists. Um, my mother started the New Zealand School of Art Therapy, studied over in, in Europe and then came back uh, to New Zealand and wanted to share that learning, so set up a school to teach people here. Um, and I very much grew up around uh, healthcare and holistic healthcare um, and uh, found that I was very good at moving in sports related activities mm. uh, had a bit of dyslexia, dyslexia and was not that good at academic stuff or school mm. um, and so I uh, found myself getting absorbed into sports and being good at it and finding a and an enjoyment out of it because it was a place where I get into flow quite naturally mm. um, and it was something that was good for my confidence because I was good at it. So I absorbed myself in sport through my kind of high school years. Um, is that mostly hockey or was that a variety of sports? Cricket, hockey, golf were probably the, the top three. Okay. Um, yeah, it was kind of like hockey in the winter, mm. cricket in the early years in the summer, yep. with some golf around it. Uh, and then it became very strongly golf. Almost yeah. went to, well, I was looking at going to the States and playing college golf when I left oh, wow. high school. Um, but I played golf every day for my final year in high school and just couldn't think of a future that had golf in it after yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was, uh, it was too lonely and it was... Uh, and it was, uh, yeah, it was just, it's a tough game to be mm. involved in and to go professional in. And I just. To get that extra top percent, you know, to get to that top totally. percent, sorry, and it takes a lot of commitment. Didn't mm. love it enough. Mm. Um, and so I went with one of my second options. Um, well, my other options when I left school, I was thinking about being a chef. Mm. Uh, went and worked for one of the top, uh, the first female New Zealand chef of the year. Uh, did wow. that for about six months and decided probably never wanted to do that again <laughs> and, and decided I loved cooking uh, but I also loved being social so mm. um, being locked into the uh, hospitality industry probably wasn't quite for me Yeah. Uh, and during my high school years and with all my sport that I was playing um, I had chronic back issues and knee had ostrich lattice when I was growing because of my growing pains oh, wow. in my knees and I didn't grow enough to get that and stuff yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I uh 
uh, spent probably three to four days or mornings a week at the physio. Yeah. Uh, and my best mate's dad was the physio and the owner of the clinic. Um, and about my seventh form or final year in, in high school, I thought, well, I'm here so often, uh, I may as well get interested and start asking some questions. And I got super interested in the questions I asked got, you know, answered really well. And I just got more and more intrigued with mm. my body. Um, and so I ended up going and studying physio in Dunedin, Otago University, um, and absolutely loved it. Oh, I can tell. Like, I, I, was, I was quite surprised you said you were dyslexic because people that know you think you're a pretty, you know, switched on guy. Yeah. Um, but it's fine. <laughs> you know, I'll bring you back down soon. Don't yeah. worry. Um, but uh, isn't it interesting when you find something you actually enjoy and you see purpose? How easy learning is. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I, I couldn't read till I was thirteen. Mm, wow. Um, and had real issues with that. But yeah, uh, I guess kind of I've um, just ground through it, and mm. like I can read pretty comfortably now. I'm pretty yeah. slow at it, but yeah, I, I can get it done, and had to get it done through uni. And I think. Um, yeah, I think whatever else I learned growing up, and I think the mm. part of that was when you want something, you just go hard. And yeah, you figure it out. Well, uh, something came up for me there, and I don't know if you've got anything to add to this, but um, I've had this experience, like you talked about, with you know cooking and various sports as well. Yeah. Um, when something you really, really enjoy and are passionate about becomes uh, outcome driven, like you know when you became a sh- you know wanted thinking about becoming a chef because you love cooking. Uh, it, it can change your whole relationship with that um, that media. Mm. And I wonder if there's something around the way that we approach it um, or if maybe we are a little bit too outcome-focused sometimes and not maybe enough process-driven. Um, uh, yeah, totally. I, I have had that with kind of a number of sports or things in my life. Mm. Um, I think sport was the easy one because you, you start when you're young and you – uh, start because you enjoy something and you yep. keep going because you enjoy something when you're young and then you get into kind of the heavy competitive representative stuff and yep. uh, expectations get lobbed on you and um, yep. goals and all this kind of stuff get started throwing you have to try and achieve and achieve and achieve and you start to forget why you played it in yeah. the first place and yep. you lose that attachment to the process or mm. uh, and you definitely get 100% become outcome driven mm. uh, and there's, I think there's a I think that's a part a natural part of sport um, yeah and it's a natural part of the learning journey mm. as well. And I think there's a psych- cyclical loop that comes at the end of that when you get to a certain level where you go, oh, actually, I can only get better if I start to enjoy this yep. again. Yep. And um, I found that with hockey particularly, and I've recently started to, to kind of find it with golf again. Cool. Golf was a classic example. Mm. I got um, I got down to kind of a scratch handicap and started playing every day because I wanted to go to the States Um and then I forgot that I played golf because I wanted to enjoy it and I started getting frustrated at myself. Yeah. When, when you get to that level, it's just a mental game. Yeah. So you just quickly, uh, yeah. if you're frustrated at yourself, yeah. there's no way you can get better. Well, I know that you, you achieved some pretty cool things in hockey, right? So you represented... Um, yeah, I played here in Wellington, represented Wellington yeah. at, um, at Capital and... I um, was part of a team that won the national tournaments here and yeah. played over in, um, in Holland professionally for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had some pretty amazing experiences with yeah. hockey. We're going to come back to your physiotherapy, but you know, with, with your hockey and your high-performance uh, side, um, you know, what were the main lessons you took from you know, playing or competing at that elite level? Um, you know, we'll probably already discuss one where it's like, you know, just focus on the enjoyment versus the outcome. But um, sometimes there is a time where you just got to, you know, push through, right, and do the hard yards. And Totally. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, I think it's a, it's a mindset to game time that I found interesting, which was uh, I had to go through this whole process of kind of unlearning my approach to turning up to a game mm. and relearning uh, almost – I, I think uh, I'd go from like wanting to turn up, play really well, uh, and be going through routines to you know get good and, and make sure that I'm playing like feel like I'm prepped well for this game. Mm. To completely disregarding any preparation I was doing, turning up with the uh, mindset of like just enjoying the outcome of all of the hard work and the trainings, nice, and trusting that um, whatever you're facing during that game, you'll have a response for. Mm. Uh, and I found that that made it a lot easier for me to get into and stay into in flow states. Mm. And I found it um, 
which meant that my performance and, and my consistency went through the roof. Yeah. One of my big challenges is with all the sports and kind of my personality in general is that mm. um, it, and it was kind of highlighted and I sort of love sports for us because it reflects your own personality back at you. Mm, um, definitely. It, it, the, I had a, a um, consistency challenge where I'd be awesome one week and average the next and and it was really blatantly obvious and it was mm. basically because I'd have an awesome week and I'd feel good all week and I'd train averagely and I'd come running off my ego for a week yeah. and crash in the next game and oh, ego would burn and I'd, I'd go <laughs> hard for the next week and go well again. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so uh, being able to figure out what that mindset was that meant that I could be more consistent was a big part of what mm. I was trying to do. And have you carried that over into other elements of your life? Totally. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and tried to find other sports or other activities that, again, reflect your... Mm. your mm. I mean, yeah, I think you can apply that towards anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's come back to um, physiotherapy. So um, when, did you, when did you start practicing uh, as a physio? And then how was your approach when you first started versus, um, you know, the evolution of that physiotherapy role for you? Anyway? Yeah. Uh, so I started practicing. I studied in Dunedin until 2007, my final year in Wellington and Hawke's Bay, 2008. So I started practicing in 2009 mm-hmm. um, here in Wellington at a great, uh, great clinic in one of the big gyms, um, which meant that I – was in the middle of the CBD in one of the biggest gyms and so just had kind of uh, clients who were very generally really fit and motivated mm. um, and uh, had money to kind of spend and, and wanted to do it on their health and, and getting better. So yeah. I was kind of dealing with kind of performance-related injuries most of the time um, and I was focused on the sports world because it was yeah. a world that I loved <clears throat> yeah. and I wanted to get into the sports high-performance physio. So I was... I physioed for the Wellington Saints in my first year oh, of, wow. of out of school, which is the local uh, Wellington kind of uh, National League basketball team. Yeah. Uh, and um, Very successful team, I think. So. They're real good, yeah. Mm. And uh, even got to physio, uh, yeah, even got to physio with some of our New Zealand's best basketballers at that time as well, which was mm. real special. And the um, – the, uh, what was I saying? lost it um, <laughs> oh yeah and I physio for other sports teams as well yeah. and that was kind yeah. of my, my she started high performance and yeah, yeah that was it like I mm. really wanted to understand how uh, athletes work because I was an athlete mm. it was the thing I knew and loved and, mm. and wanted to figure out how to get people performing better including yeah. myself yeah and so I played sport at the same time mm. during that. okay then over the course of the years um, and I think it was based on my own personal journey particularly when I was in Holland uh, and all I had to do was play sport um, and yeah. just got to refine my own training. Uh, and I came back after the first year after refining my own training with a, uh, a stress fracture in my back and um, gut issues uh, and being really, really sick. Um, yeah. And finding it really hard to have energy for any games, let alone anything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I came back, had to go to a specialist, to the doctor, um, and the specialist got an MRI done. He's like, you've got to quit hockey and you've got to stop training. Like your back's wrecked. Mm. Um, and I'd been, you know, going through deadlift and squats and like just racking it up and doing three yeah. three repetition maxes and stuff. And, uh, just not realizing that I had no range of motion. Yeah. <laughs> and my That's why you were smiling at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And my yeah. bones were wrecked. Yeah. Uh, and my body was wrecked and I was yeah. getting injured all the time. I was like, yeah. fire out. Um, <laughs> But there was no way I was going to stop playing hockey, so I was like, well, I've just got to find <laughs> another way around this. Yeah. Um, and that's and then with my gut challenges, I had to go through a complete detox and mm. um, had to really assess what I was eating and the impacts on it. And Interesting. It was a cesarean birth, and it's only kind of recent years that um, kind of that knowledge has come through. Right. It's pretty mainstream around yeah. how that has an effect the microbiome on microbiome. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, went back the second year with a completely different outlook and change in training. And, I, wow. uh, and that affected the way I looked at physio as well and, and it forced me to go more holistic in my viewpoint rather than mm. um, looking at injuries as small, yeah. uh, I, I guess, individual things, mm. uh, looking at that whole system approach of human yeah. behavior and human performance. It's a, almost an identical sort of story 
um, to Ben Warren, who I've interviewed as well, and yeah. around uh, Ben and I used to play golf together. Did you? Yeah, I was yeah. say he was he was on the verge of becoming a professional golfer as well. Yeah, he was kind of he was almost a mentor of mine when oh, uh, I was wow. going through my final year of school trying yeah. to get real good. And he was he, talking about the back. He had just yeah. done the Czech thing in that yeah. final year, and it was, he was on his way out. And was yeah, like, oh. well, that's, that's why, because he came across a Czech practitioner when he was playing golf, and he had a wrecked back as well. Yeah. And uh, found out it was related to um, gut health issues and a, a dairy intolerance. Yeah. yeah and he same. cut it out, and his back pain cleared up. Same here. So, yeah, Got interesting. It. I've heard that, that similar sort of story so many times, but that must have been a huge light bulb moment to you that – probably made you think about how interconnected all of our systems are yeah Yeah, i thought like i'd thought a bunch about it previously Mm. and i think one of the things that was going on at that time for me when i was in holland is i I got really interested in uh a couple friends of mine wanted to start a coffee company over there because there's like they've got a lot of coffee but not the same coffee culture yeah and um and we wanted to set up coffee culture that we know here like this Mm. single origin boutique kind of um, yeah coffee style it's that liquid gold that yeah. everyone seems to be addicted to in Wellington exactly <laughs> and uh, so I went around looking at these cafes trying to understand why it wasn't happening and yeah. what it was and there was just one of the this is kind of I guess an adjunct but it, one of the things that I found was that they didn't understand how to create a, an, a, an environment in a cafe that people really loved mm. like we have back here Yeah. and so I started studying culture and um, culture building through cafe environments and wow. the interaction of design and people's uh, sensation of a space or um, opinion or feeling in a space and how that mm. then um, informed the culture that that space creates. Uh, and so, yeah, I was, I was think, starting to think a little bit more broadly from design perspectives then and starting to look at all of the different senses and the interaction with the human body. Yeah. Um, and that forced me to relook at how I was approaching physiotherapy as well. Yeah. Yeah. Connecting the dots. Mm. Um, so towards the end of your, you know, before you extracted yourself from the physio world, yeah. um, how were you looking at clients? So if someone walked into you, first consultation, obviously you need to go through the normal, you know, rigmarole. Yeah. But, um, you know, from some of our chats, I can see that you look at things quite differently than the, you know the the older sort of physio or the, mm. the the straight down the line physiotherapist or any practitioner really. So how would your sort of consultation look? Um, I'm just going to pause and float for a little, like feel good for a little bit. That was nice. Thank yeah, you. Uh, <laughs> I will not edit that. <laughs> you should appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I uh, I th- I think I, I just started taking to an account. Um, uh, global movement patterns so mm-hmm. like if just from a movement perspective initially yeah. still looking at uh, sites of injury for instance but uh, looking at um, the global reasons that that site might be injured mm. um, and so kind of taking the uh, Buckminster Fuller um, Tensegrity model I guess yeah, that you could say nice. and, and looking at why a point is under extreme load and what mm. else in the system is, is contributing to that. Yeah. Um, I think that approach immediately makes you rethink how you treat people. Yeah. Um, from a kind of traditional hands-on perspective yeah. or, or a therapeutic perspective. Yeah. But you go one step further and you're like, well, try to understand what is pain and yeah. what is discomfort. Brilliant. And then you have to um, bring in the mental component. And, mm, mental, uh, emotional. The, yeah, and then like the physiological implications. And so I just started geeking out, geeking out on how to manipulate people's physiology. Mm. And um, and that's kind of the same thing with where we've, what we've got to here. It's like the same principle. So like yeah. how do you, how do you um, m- manipulate or, or facilitate, probably is a better word, yeah. someone's physiology into a healing mm. uh, healing state mm. and how do you uh, what are the what are the levers you can pull with uh, mental thoughts um, and food and movement that are going to environment yeah yeah and, and mm. external environment and relationships mm. and everything else you might want to throw into that there's just hundreds of levers we can pull to get people in the right state yeah and then it's just a matter of trying to understand that individual in front of you and what the most powerful levers are that you can pull for them because everyone right. walks through the door different yeah yeah and, uh, and that's the fun that's the part of yeah. healthcare i love and yeah. i kind of miss now that i'm not in it as much mm. is uh being able to try and solve those uh, yeah 
challenges. Well, I think what you're doing now is providing a tool that will reach more people to create that global change, but we're going to get to that soon. <laughs> um, so what were some of the outcomes you were seeing when you started looking at the, the individual as more than just a, oh, an injury? Just like um, you, uh, like the, the, the first things which mm. people care about most is like return to function mm. time frame and the return to function was way shorter, mm. um, particularly in high performance sports stuff. Like in my later years as a physio, I shifted into return to work programs yep. and people with chronic pain and that was a really really different world for me to get my head around mm. but um when it was like it, it, when it came to sports performance and function the speed of which i was able to get a change in their tissues so that they could return to their activity mm. just dramatically increased and then yeah. also the buy-in from them to shift it beyond uh i'm injured and i just need to get back to function to I'm injured, I need to get back to function, and here's an opportunity for my performance to increase if mm. I take this a couple of steps further because we've identified uh, key blockers to performance increase over yeah. time. And yeah. so you get to change the conversation from you're injured to, oh, this is cool, we've learned something about your body, and, mm. uh, and we can uh, progress your performance now because yeah. this has been unlocked. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, and, it, and it's a nice one as well because it flips a patient or a, a yeah, patient's perspective yeah. from like, oh, my body sucks and it's injured yeah. to um, change that conversation. Yeah, yeah, my body's actually epic and yeah. if I unlock this, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be able to unlock a whole other level. My body's great at adapting. Yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> um, how important, what sort of emphasis do you place on building relationships, you know, with your clients? Because oh. I know chatting to you, some of the first things we talked about, like we'd sit down and go, we'd have a little bit of a chat and you go, oh, how's your day going today? Like, give it a score out of 10. And then I'll go, give it a score out of 10 and say, why? 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 And I'm like, whoa, this guy's confrontational, but in a, in a, in a good way. I was like, wow, that, that's, uh, that wasn't, I wasn't expecting this conversation to go that way, but it was way more useful than I, uh, I thought. Um, was going to happen. Yeah, so sometimes you're quite good at that. It's not useful, but sometimes no. But we've obviously built that trust. Yeah. We got to that point. Yeah. That, um, you know, what sort of? Yeah, I, I think that in the treatment world, quite often we don't really place much uh, emphasis on building a relationship with a client, um, and therefore, in my opinion, that's a little bit harder to facilitate that change. Like, have you got anything to? Oh, to add if, to that? if you can, if someone trusts you and respects you, and um wants to listen to you like it, it, that'll help them not to listen to you yeah um and if they can feel that you care about them um genuinely then you're automatically putting them in a physiological state which yeah. they're more likely to recover mm. um as soon as they trust that they're going to recover your body their body goes into autopilot mode of like repair all of the fight and flight systems yeah. drop down because they're yeah. no longer fearful of non-recovery and there's yeah. no, the anxiousness goes out the window yeah. uh, and they can trust and let their body do what it does best. It's yeah. like uh, if, if your client doesn't trust you then this and, and you can't have that relation, that personal relationship with yeah. them, then you're already kind of on the back foot trying to improve anything. It's just, yeah. We've got the placebo kind of effect um, that can get leveraged and we should yep. leverage that mm. and the easiest way effect's still an effect right it's the best, it's thing, it's the best <laughs> thing ever yeah. like uh and you look at it in the pain world and and um and yeah and it's um it's just done through building genuine relationships mm. and and you're just trying to genuinely understand what that person's going through and what is impacting their state yeah. of well-being yeah um and yeah, if you can, if you if you get that going well, then you've you've cracked most of it. Yeah, yeah, no, I can't agree more. Um, this leads reason. This is kind of in, in relation um, to that last question. But in terms of physio, um, we were you seeing people's environments um, or where they're spending a lot of time really impacting on their their health and their pain? Um, for example, I always talk about you know the mismatch between how our how, how we're physiologically wired as human as humans mm. versus uh, where we're currently what sort of environment we're currently existing in yeah um and that seems to be a theme that has been highlighted throughout most every interview 
I've had, but how did that present itself to you? And were there certain things that you noticed? Um, yeah, I think that um, being in kind of the high performance sport world for six or so years, it wasn't that long really in the scheme of things, but it was, yeah. it was enough to learn uh, how that world works. And the, the great thing about that world is that everyone's trying to inch out progress mm. as much as possible and they're looking for any bit of knowledge and any bit of research or, any yeah, tool, like yeah. anything that will push the dial a little yeah. bit like yeah. a one percent and yeah. so it's like you're less than one like mm. anything mm. Um, and so you constantly have the latest research at your fingertips and people are talking about it and you're like there's people often implementing things before you know research has gone to print because it's already known because the researchers have chatted about it yeah and it's like yeah. yeah it's so far like at the cutting edge of how do we get how do we create an environment and support this athlete to be their best yeah and perform at their best optimizing every system yeah you go yeah. into a workplace and there's like it is <laughs> contrast it is yeah there's a massive divide yeah and it, that was highlighted for me when I came back and shifted from performance physio into uh, return to work after injury mm. uh, and people who have been had persistent pain chronic pain for been off work for 15 plus years yeah um, you're returning people to some really difficult environments yeah. and uh, the people who uh, control those environments and have the decision making power in those environments have no or very little understanding of health and well-being yeah um so attached yeah and and, mm. and then you, you know i the, the link that i make there is you know, we're working in these spaces that are so devoid of health and performance yeah uh how do we expect to make good decisions <laughs> and i think um in every way as in, well. in every way and yeah I th- like yeah if you're phys- physiologically not geared up in a state or prepped uh to make a good decision or to make any decision all, mm. all you're doing is is reducing the amount that your brain can cope with yeah uh, and creating a more of a tunnel vision to what kind yeah. of decisions you're going to make there's no diversity in the yeah. inputs that are going to allow you to come up with really yeah. well-informed decisions on the spot yeah um and i i look at the world as it currently is and i'm like there's a and you know where what the world is currently doing and the trajectory we're on and who's kind of leading that trajectory and it's business mainly like it's yeah. the it's the decisions that businesses are making and, and uh it's really easy to go oh, it's business but there's people in those businesses and there's environments that those people are in yeah. um and who drives business the consumers well yeah, yeah. To, to an extent right and yeah. um and there's uh yeah and these people are in environments both physical and social and emotional uh that are obviously not geared up to making well-informed decisions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so basically what you're saying is um, uh, the common workspace um, makes us a little bit less intelligent. <laughs> yeah. And intelligence... So clinical. Not just meaning uh, cognitively. I mean, I'm talking about, if we go back to the multiple brain model, you know, we're yeah. looking at um, probably less informed cognitive decisions but less uh less empathetic uh decision making and probably probably a little bit less intuition as well yeah um, so that yeah, look at the gut heart and head brains for i example. think we're just as intelligent i just don't think that when we're making decisions we're in an environment that allows for that full intelligence to be realized yeah. well if you know what i mean like no 100 percent. it's like you, if you're trying to um if you're trying to do like hardcore maths and you're deprived of oxygen, yeah, like it's difficult. Mm-hmm. It's an extreme, like it's an extreme example. Yeah, um, but our workplaces aren't, yeah, aren't that far, <laughs> far well, away from some of that. When you take all of the impacts that yeah. we're having, being yeah. Had. Well, I was. Um, well, actually, first of all, uh, you look at you know Grant Susilo's work again, and he talks about um, the autonomic nervous system um, having a, a balanced autonomic nervous system mm-hmm. um, being you know the highway between those three intelligence mm-hmm. intelligences, so realigning them, allowing mm-hmm. you to make informed decisions. Yeah. Um, if you're operating in fight and flight mode most of the time, you sure. literally can't access them. So, um, and that meaning that you know our environments. You know, we know there's hormonal physiological implications of sitting in a supported seat, right? Mm. Um, there's hormonal and physiological implications of sitting in uh, social isolation. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's implications of the food decisions we make, mm-hmm. um, of um, the amount of screen time we have, the lighting, mm-hmm. um, the lack of fresh air, too many positive ions versus negative ions. So this environment is set up for us to not make great decisions. That's basically what you're saying. Yeah, it's pretty hard to. (laughs) And there's some phenomenal individuals out there that still manage to do it. Yeah. (laughs) But um, I think, yeah, I think as a whole we'd be benefiting greatly if we were able to. And shit, we'd have a much better time as we kind of go through this journey of life. 100%. (laughs) That's that's part of my motivation. Well, yeah, I was going to say this must be a segue into, you know, what you're doing now, right? So so actually, what what led you to to get out of physiotherapy and move into, you know, what you're doing right now? Mm. I could imagine... I don't want to lead this too much, but I can imagine there was a bit of reflection around, you know, your values and your purpose. Yeah, totally. I was I came back from Holland and I was uh, getting into kind of the physiotherapy practice management side of things and doing the return to work contracts and chronic pain. Um, I, I just got to a point in my career where the kind of in a physiotherapy world, you you get to a level in your career uh, and then you either uh, specialize and go down like a um, academic route or you go into running your own practice and um, and having a bunch of other physios work with you um, or you shift out and do uh, contract work with government to um, manage cases and whatnot. Um, and I was had a question on my mind whether I was going to spend the next six years of my life uh, dedicating it to hockey and seeing if I could get to the Olympics or um, or do something else. Yeah. Uh, and, and I had this, I don't know if you've ever heard of the um, infinite and finite games theories, which is, I came across it and just loved it. And it's this idea of a finite game is the, has a start and an end point. It's like a hockey game. Uh, it has a score, so you know at the end who wins. Yeah. And um, an f- infinite game is a game that you, uh, the only way you know you're winning is you keep get to keep playing. Mm-hmm. Um and I was looking at my life through that lens of uh, how can I set my life up in a way that I can play an infinite game for the rest of my life, get better and better at it, but never be able to fully master it. Mm. And what is it? What is it that I would want to commit to that has that um, has that mindset around it? And I looked at hockey, and I was like, I've got you know six years or seven years, eight years maybe, probably be finished by the time I'm thirty-five. Um, and I would have dedicated thousands of hours to refining this position as a goalkeeper. Mm. And um, and then what? Like, what hmm. would happen at 35? Like, my career's over, my body's given up. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and then what would I do? Um, and then physiotherapy, I was seeing that as a bit of a finite game for me. Um, and I, uh, there's, you know, there's endpoints at different stages, and it's like, how am I going to unlock that to be... And at the same time, I was looking, I was in this world of returning people to work and I could see this massive divide between these two places and I was interested in um, mm. the workplace culture and, and well-being in yeah. that aspect. Uh, and I decided, and I could see that the world was running run off like a market theory of, you know, people buy goods and sell things and the world changes. Yeah. Uh, and so I really wanted to get good at I kind of chose and, and ended up moving away from hockey and sport and chose to understand business and using business as a platform to create preventative solutions to people's health and nice. nice and focusing on the workplace because that was a that was where I was kind of interested in. Yeah, I was to be honest when I first left physio, I was more interested in understanding business culture mm. um, and the kind of I guess the social emotional aspects of cultural processes. How do you develop that? And I went off and started studying business and starting some businesses of my own yeah. and uh, fell into making a desk because I was sitting at my laptop and uh, working from my laptop on a fixed desk at a, in a chair and was getting back pain and neck pain and headaches and the yeah. irony just smacked me straight in the face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> More desk work equals yeah, yeah. pain. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was real uncomfortable and I was un- un- unhappy with it and I looked around and looked at the research of what was going on and electrics at the stands were just kind of starting to make a run but uh, and cranks at the stands were a thing as well and uh, research was showing that just no one was using them even when they had them it's like 20 percent of people max will change height on them when they have okay. them uh, less than five percent for crank discs and 
there's you know a bunch of and you know going from sitting to standing is okay but you know it's pretty limited range of motion mm. and uh the health benefits of going from sit to stand we were debated and you know then people took it as standing for long periods is the yep. thing that you need to do and then it's like well actually that's just being still in another position you yep. just get a bunch of other challenges and yeah uh and so I kind of saw that. And I just saw heaps of room for improvement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, got a bunch of friends in a room, and who happen to be engineers and designers, and said, "Hey, here's a problem. Let's solve it. Um, well, let's tinker and see what we can come up with." Uh, and four years later, here we are. Yeah. Um, this is what I really wanted to get into with you because yeah. I am very passionate about uh, um, erector sizes, as one of our mutual friends will uh, <laughs> will call it, but. Um, just that idea of such bad branding, yeah. Erector sizes. I know. I love it. That always gets a reaction. So take home note, people. Erector size on a daily basis. <laughs> Put some time aside to erect a size. Um, we're not going to leave it there, but I will explain yeah, what erector size is. But I always talk about uh, just spending time on the ground, not staying still getting up, the ability to get down and up off the ground, mm. to sit in deep squat, to practice some different uh, patterns and positions. Uh, and that's basically what you've done with uh, Limba. So could you talk us through what Limba is, actually, and what it does? Sure. So uh, Limba is a New Zealand-made desk that uh, maximizes space performance and movement. And um, it is a counterweighted desk, so it's got no electronic mechanism, which means that it can move really quickly quickly or quicker than you can move from standing to sitting to any height all the way down to floor pushes um, right. and it's uh, made here in New Zealand out of sustainably forested uh, virtual. Nice, nice, I love that. Um, I've had a couple of jams on the, the Lemur and I, uh, it definitely uh, satiates my movement needs which I love. Yeah. Um, hopefully get some of them in the office. Um, but I mean to me I think this is such a big change because um, I mean, how much time do we spend at our office? Oh. I mean, I read some research a couple of years ago that suggested that the average Australian spends only one and a half hours per day not sitting. Yeah. Not sitting, an it's hour mental, and a half. It's mental, eh? Considering we're human beings that are yeah. designed to move for a lot of the day. Well, our whole, like, our whole, everything's set up. Evolution like, is true. guide movement. Yeah. And, like, yeah. here we are not doing it. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Like it's uh, certainly uh, an interesting case study for future generations mm. to look back at and yeah, <laughs> and and see kind of the world we're living in and the impact it's having on us. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we we do not move a hell of a lot, mm. and and but you know, like it's partly to do with the the time that we're in and and computers and the need for a screen. Yeah, I mean it's a fixed object. Yeah, and uh, and it's pretty hard to create an environment which movement is. Well, I think rather than a, rather than avoid it, right? Like avoid this amazing access to technology and you know global information. Yeah. Um, what can we do to you know embrace it. embrace it and and actually create an environment that you can get the best of both worlds? Totally. That's that's what I call bridging the gap. So I feel like totally. this tool is quite a you know it's, it could be a potentially amazing tool for a lot of people to bridge that gap. Yeah, that's that's that was the goal. That's totally yeah. the goal, and it's kind of that's um, the first part of I guess realizing the dream I had when I left physio, which is mm. find a product that we can create, which is going to improve people's health, or if they as soon as they buy it, they can use it, and it's going to have an impact of them yeah. positively in some way. Yeah. Um, and then the second part, which I'm sure we'll get into, is like making sure that the way that we do our business is um, done with the same integrity. Yeah. 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 Yeah, okay, so we've got um, we've got limbo. We've got because access to this amazing you know yeah. tool that goes up and down real quick. Goes up and down fast. Yeah. It allows you to erect a size really on nice a regular basis. As well, the wood's beautiful. It, it is a yeah. it is a nice nice. <laughs> you got all the good things there, right? All the good words. <laughs> Don't bring moist into it, okay? Oh Jesus! <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> But yeah, it's, I mean, one of the other benefits that I love as well, and I, I'm actually a little bit envious of your situation because it just seems like all of your values are aligned in this product and that is you've created not only a great tool, um, but it's also aligned with a lot of your your, your greater um, values and that's around you know creating positive global 
environmental change. Totally. So um, I can't remember the statistics, but you offset your carbon emissions as well. Is that right? Yeah. So we uh, mm-hmm. tracked our carbon emissions for last year and in the operational side of our business. So everything yep. that goes into making uh, our limbers. Yeah. And that's you know, power, electricity, um, fuel for shipping and driving around the place. Um, and uh, we worked with a company called Ecos, who's a uh, carbon offsetting provider in New Zealand, and they do an amazing job because they uh, support local indigenous uh, forests and the mm. indigenous forest owners uh, by turning that, their forests into these um, uh, carbon credit forests, which means that these uh, uh, indigenous forest owners can earn money from keeping it as a forest, uh, yeah. as a native bush. Um, and they support those people to do all sorts of things to improve their land at the same time. So Beautiful. Uh, yeah, so we worked with them. ECOS is their name, and they uh, helped us understand how much carbon we emitted from the operations of our business, and we offset it by 225%. Wow. Yeah. Well, if only every business operated like that. Oh, yeah, it would be nice. I think yeah. like the, 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 I think the kind of the reasons we did that is that it's an acknowledgement of for us the state of the world that we're currently, yeah. currently inhabiting yeah. and just acknowledging that um, and then looking at how uh, it's all good and well to pick up your own rubbish if you've got it on the beach and if the, if the atmosphere was a beach and we were looking at like plastic, uh, it would be completely littered. And uh, if we're walking along that beach and enjoying that beach somehow, uh, if we pick up the, the rubbish that we created, um, that stays the same, but we've got to go backwards. So we wanted to mm-hmm. uh, pick up someone else's rubbish at the same time. Yeah, uh, and it's surprisingly um, super easy to, to do that. Mm. Uh, and the cost impact on a business is not as big as you'd think. Uh, so I definitely, like, um, strongly suggest but, companies out there give it a look at it. Um, but you know, we know now. Like, there's actually I've been looking into this for some other presentations, but um, having a or acting in line with your values and having a sense of purpose and meaning in what you do is actually becoming a really powerful health factor. It's been correlated with longevity. Um, it's been actually correlated with um, uh, rehab substance abuse. Um, there's all of these different uh, correlations associated with having a, a sense of perceived purpose and yeah. acting in line with your values. So how's that been for you, like creating something that um, sort of nourishes you on multiple levels? Incredibly motivating. Yeah. Easy to get up in the morning. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just, uh, it's easy to, to work hard. Yeah. Um, and it's easy to, to, like, it's easy, fun, and, yeah, and meaningful and enjoyable mm. to do all of this stuff. Even, like, the weirdest, shittiest task in your business mm. becomes not that painful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And... Uh, yeah, I think it's imbued me with a whole new energy in life to be able to kind of work towards this. Um, mm. uh, and it's, you know, there's so much more involved in this business than purely the product that we ship. Um, and to me, that's the kind of the most interesting part of, of, of business. It's like we're not doing this just to make money. We're doing this so that we can make money, so we can fuel the yep. impact that we want to have. Yep. Um, and, uh, and we can hopefully make a change in the world which is super like really positive for folk and yeah meet these people down the track and and, and have chats with them and, and mm. you know it's awesome yeah it'd be really really neat yeah yeah it would be neat yeah <laughs> i mean if we were to fuse both of those worlds right, we've got yeah. the, the product and the um you know ethical business um and the health world um would you change the way you go about physiotherapy now? Would you, you know, if you had, oh, if you had the free reign to 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 look I'd, at some of these things? I'd totally love to start a physio clinic uh, slash health clinic. You know, more like I think it'd be more broad than physio, but I'd love to do like a concept physio clinic of how healthcare could be, hmm. um, because there's so much room for improvement. Um, it's just a matter of finding the motivation and space for people to be able to get in a, in a room and, and create something that's a bit different. Like currently, yeah. the the way that the economic economics line up and the way that um, that's structured here in New Zealand, yeah, it's it's super easy to kind of make it make a clinic essentially and, and mm. get some uh, patients coming through. Yeah, uh, but as soon as you get patients coming through, it's actually quite a tiring job. Yeah, and being able to uh, go a bit further and create a, a clinic that is fundamentally different to other clinics becomes really really difficult yeah 
Um, but I'm sure that there's a bunch of physios out there that would love to get involved in something yeah. like that as well. Yeah, I'm sure there are. Now, um, first of all, why would a company want to consider um, becoming a little bit more ethical in the way they approach business? And then how might they go about it? All righty. Um, Geez, diving, diving right in there. Yeah, yeah, we're getting straight into it. I thought this would, this would excite you. I saw your uh, your eyes change a little bit there. Yeah, fired up. Um, ethical. Yeah. So why why ethical why would a business. company want to look at maybe offsetting some carbon emissions, or why would a company want to uh, potentially dedicate some some resources and finance to uh, you know to giving back? Or um, I think there's a few few things to think about. In this, yeah. Right. Like there's. Um, there's like giving back is like an adjunct to your normal services and mm-hmm. it's like it's kind of equated to social uh, corporate social responsibility which is like you do you do business over here and you give to charity over on the other side and you kind of have an impact that way um, but I think it's like at the, at the heart of it um, I think business has to shift to a place where it inherently through its actions and through its trade has positive environmental and social impacts mm. um, the reasons for businesses to consider that are, are many. Yeah. Um, some of the top ones are um, around uh, employee engagement and performance. Yeah. Um, yeah. Staff retention and um, innovation yeah. is a big one. Um, and well, this can have some financial ramifications, oh, right? Huge, yeah. huge financial. Like the innovation side of things is a massive around the world, and you only have to look. Um, you know, you, you only have to look at some of the tech companies and some of these new ideas that are coming out now that are um, having massive impacts on people's health and wellness and the innovation process that has gone to get there. Yep. The other thing is that by 2025, 75% of the workforce will be Gen Z. Wow. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, Gen Z and below are just becoming yep. more and more values-driven, more and yep. more environmentally focused. Yep. They see business as a tool for societal positive change Correct. not as a tool for profit and solely yeah um, yeah i feel like there's a lot of discussion around the negatives of you know generations like our oh, generation yeah you know does this but and and you know there's a lot around you know gen y and you yeah. know all of this stuff but rather than complain about yeah. people that are different to you um these are going to be the people that are going to be occupying the planet right yeah. so what can we do to um, you know, to support these generations coming through and maybe create a platform that they can thrive and hopefully create a better planet. Well, yeah, I think the, the way our decision-making, again, if we come back to that, the way it works most often in our world is short-term. Mm. And, um, it's politics. Well, yeah, politics. Yeah. But I think, um, I think one of the things I'm loving at the moment is the reintroduction of, like, indigenous cultures into the mainstream a little yeah. bit. Yep. And those indigenous cultures, be it Māori or Aboriginal or um, uh, American, American Indian or yeah. wherever, you know, yeah. like their philosophies are so ingrained in long-term thinking, mm. like intergenerational, seven-generational thinking. Yeah. Um, and when you consider uh, a decision or a challenge on that timeline, it changes the context of the solution. Yeah. Um, and... And I think we've we've kind of dropped the ball on that a bit. And so coming through, uh, instead of like criticizing each of these different generations that are coming up because they're different to us and we're, we're different to the ones above us and they're different to the next ones, right? Yeah. We've got to give them the respect they deserve and, mm. and understanding that they're the ones that are going to be living here. Yeah. When we're long past gone and their kids and their kids are going to be the yeah. ones that will be living here. So yeah. I think that's a lot easier to understand when you've got kids yourself or, you've, or you're around kids a lot. Yeah. And um, the, it's, it's uh, yeah, I think when we shift to that mindset more readily in, in mainstream culture, the, again, the way we make decisions will be affected mm. big time. Well, that just reinforces um, one of the first interviews I did with Frank Frenchich. And, uh, you know, he went from being a movement practitioner now to, um, you know, he's doing a lot of work around uh, lobbying and, you know, for political change and mm. environmental change and whatnot. And he talks about one of the sayings, um, 
uh, from some Native uh, American tribes, and it was uh, lived for the se- seventh generation. Yeah, exactly what you said. Yeah. So, and when he said that, I was like, well, I haven't really. I've got kids, and I think about how they're going to grow up. Mm. But I haven't really even thought beyond that. And I thought I was quite a progressive thinker, thinking mm. about creating a better planet for my children. But it's how about your children's infinite. children? And how about your children's children's children? Like, yeah, it's the infinite game. It's yeah. like it's the game in your lifetime. You can't win. Yeah, you can only like you can only play to improve it and to and to um, make it better for the next player almost. You know, like uh, these are like they're amazing, and I think there's places like NASA as well, which is uh, like a real interesting example of these (coughs) scientists who dedicate their lifetime to something that they'll never see. Yeah, doing research and and tests and and um, and doing working on projects that are going to be kind of realised. A generation after they've gone yeah um, and I think when you start to see examples of that and contemplate the like the impact on how you would look at life if you had to look at it through that lens mm. it really shifts your perspective quite yeah and that could be a powerful tool in itself um, okay so I'm gonna zoom back out again yeah we got, we got quite an uh, quite intense there <laughs> I'm gonna sneeze bless you <laughs> <laughs> I'm back. Bless you. So, um, for the person working at the desk, yeah. um, you know, the, the classic nine to five worker, which is probably more like eight to six these days. Legends. Yeah. Point that out. Exactly. exactly. If that's you, you're a legend. Yep. <laughs> I'm sure some people are going beyond that as well. Yeah. So, what are some really simple things that people can do? Like, just some things off the top of your head that might be some useful ideas or tools to create a workspace that's going to facilitate wellness. Mm. I think like the some of the, uh, if you've just got a normal desk, uh, let's say it's a sit-stand electric desk, I think yeah. it's pretty common these days. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of things you can do. Um, I think making sure you've got access to clean and uh, fresh water is the first thing. Yes. Having like a drink bottle on your, on your table is a real basic one to do. Great. Um, Taking a or, or like noticing when your productivity is gone and just taking a pause and taking a few deep breaths mm-hmm. and again like a real simple thing to do just to flood the, the brain with oxygen maybe even bust a squat or, or move yep. in some way just to stretch and get blood flowing bust a squat um, those are easy ones uh, yeah as well Move, movement snacks move yeah movement snacks yeah. I like I love it. that <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, you can get uh, like. You can get sand timers and real visual things that you can put on your desk to allow you to understand how much time is passing. Because mm. one of the challenges is is that, uh, and if if you're in, in your computer doing a document or coding or whatever it is you're doing, uh, we get into the flow states, and once you're in flow states, it's like all time is gone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you're deep in your own mind, and the world disappears, which is yeah. an amazing place to be. But it's also um, get the blinders on. You get the blinders on big time. And so mm. if you can have visual or um, textual cues that will allow you to kind of make a decision without having to interrupt that flow, yep. you have to change your position or yep. something like that, uh, those can be easy. And, and a, a nice one that I've seen is the old sand timer at 15 or 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. You tip it over when you're starting to do some work and yeah. uh, and you'll just see that it's gone out of the, out of the corner of your eye and you might, nice. uh, yeah, you might have a movement that you that you go to be the squat or stretch yeah. or, uh, or whatnot. But it's the hard thing is, uh, and that's what I've found with like making limber, is that it's really hard to set up your environment for mm. health and well-being, yeah. particularly when you're in those flow states, because you have to uh, you have to create an environment that allows you to make decisions by default. You don't want to pull yourself out of that flow state every time yeah. to go. Oh, I'm going to be healthy now. And then I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes getting back into my flow state. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you want to stay in that flow state, and you want to have movement at the same time. So, uh, for every every person's desk setup's different, and and their requirements and workflow is different. So, look at that desk and your workflow, and go, what are the kind of things I can do that I don't have to think about too much, and I, I can do while I'm still working mm. in a flow, uh, and and the kind of things are what kind of movements. Yeah. What kind of, you know, how can I make drinking water easy? Mm. And, uh, making sure I'm getting fresh mm. air and yeah. know, having some plants around me doing whatever. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the one, the big thing. Make it the default. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Now that's great. So you've got uh, your access to good water. Um, you've got um, 
bringing some awareness to, to time. I think that's really good. Some movement snacks, um, some breath. I think that's a great point. Um, what, what sort of value do you place on like kicking your shoes off and getting in bare feet? Oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, so we know that's sort of like a bit of a gateway to um, all sorts of positive physiological change as well. Well, your, your foot's just got so much movement and mm. there's so many components to it. It's yeah. like as soon as you give it an environment which like will allow those components to move and flex, yeah. you're upregulating your nervous system big yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and when we're locked in shoes, uh, you've got really limited movement through yep. your joints and your, and your feet, so you don't yep. really get the chance to give your nervous system that, that hit. Yep. Um, 100%. Uh, yeah. So we're like one of the things we've got in our workplace is um, uh, there's these little foot stands that are like semi-circles with little knobs coming out of them. Cool. And they can you can stand at it and massage your feet. Oh, lovely. And, uh, and again, <laughs> it's one of those things where you're just working away standing and you might be uncomfortable, but you don't really want to sit or kneel mm. or whatever else. Uh, but you can, you've just got that thing under your foot. Yeah. And you can, you end up, your foot ends up playing with it. Yep. And you're not even thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and that doesn't need to be one of those things particularly. It could be a tennis ball or yep. golf yep. ball or something. Changing the environment slightly. Diversity, which you talked about before. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Great, man. Um, I mean, if we bring that back to Dr. Tracy Alloway and some of her work around working memory, like just getting in bare feet for, for the workers out there can actually it can improve your access to your, your memory. Um, so working memory is a stronger predictor of intelligence and IQ now. Um, wow. And just by getting in bare feet, um, generally moving in bare feet um, will actually improve, improve our working memory too. So just Does a side note. Do you have any idea of the mechanism for that? Like what's the... Uh, no, but I spoke with Trey, uh, Dr. Alloway on, on an older podcast and I... Mm. I think she reinforced it. I have to go back and have a listen to it. But yeah. um, I thought it might be because, you know, when your feet, foot is stimulated, obviously it jacks up your nervous system a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I think your your feet start problem solving, you know, because um, when we yeah. wrap ourselves in sensory deprivation chambers or mm-hmm. shoes, um, you, your, your foot doesn't have to do anything. It doesn't have to stabilize. It doesn't have to react to your environment. So it's not problem solving at all. Mm. But when you're in bare feet, um, my hypothesis was that maybe it was because we were, you know, our bodies or our nervous system or our feet are well, problem solving. Our, They're adapting. Our body moves in weird ways when we are problem solving as well. Mm. Like you have classic examples like when people stick their tongue out or, <laughs> yeah. you know, but those are like pretty common examples that we see because it's really noticeable when someone yeah. like sticks their tongue out <laughs> as a weird facial thing because they're like yeah. trying to get their body or yeah. make the connection in their brain. Yeah so that the mm. nerves will fire off. Um, but you, you have the same thing with your hands, and, and I, I would assume, I have yeah. no idea of the, any of this research yeah, or anything around that, but I'd assume that your feet do the same thing. It's like yeah. another a little um, thing people do is they have toys in their hands, yeah. and we, we flick pens yeah. all the time, right? We fidget. Mm-hmm. Um, and fidgeting has been shown to have a really positive yeah. impact on your own performance and yeah. um, problem solving at work. Yeah. And all we're trying to do really is get as much nerve, neural stimulus into the brain so that the brain can make the random connection that needs to to solve problems. Yeah. And that's why movement's so important when mm-hmm. we are working and like why walking meetings have yeah. become kind of a thing because you get a whole bunch of new neural stimulus up into your brain mm. that's... Uh, that's kind of like raising the default level of stimulus in your brain. Yeah. And it's allowing your brain to make random connections to, to solve challenges in, yep. in um, make better in creative decisions. ways. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like I'd, I'd, I'd assume that as well as facial expressions, yep. we, we do postural expressions totally. and foot and ankle and toes yep. being so rich with proprioceptors yeah. uh, would be a big part of where those kind yep. of probably come out yeah i get seen yeah i mean physical mechanisms aside there seems to be a lot of correlation between uh movement diversity and you know state of cognition or uh you know mental performance so yeah can't ignore it i'm not exactly sure of the mechanisms yet but i think what you said there um probably summed up a lot of it um okay so in terms of um you know, what we want to get out of today for the, for the mm. listeners. Um, I always ask a question at the end of every interview mm. and um, it goes along the lines of this. So 
Um, if everyone listening today could take on board uh, a message at all or even an idea um, that would probably aid in the people to become healthier at work, mm-hmm. um, what would that be? I think it, it comes down to doing work that you are passionate about, uh, doing work that uh, you have a personal kind of, you can see the purpose in behind uh, both for yourself and others. Yeah. Um, I think if you look at that over a long term, it has such a, a profound impact on how you feel and what you do at work and the behaviours you choose. Um, if you're working in a really rough environment uh, in, in a product or a service that you have no connection to or you even dislike, mm. um, on, on the daily we're spending so much time in these places that that just eats you. Uh, so finding work that you are purposeful about or have you can see a purpose in um, and that aligns with values that you want to see in the world, um, I think is, is crucial. I'd agree. Um, we see the side effect of that all the time, and you know, our, in our practice as well. So, or people not acting in line with it. And if you can't find the job, make it. There you go. Which is exactly <laughs> what you've done. So, <laughs> hey, thanks, uh, Bartos. That was a that was a great chat. Um, uh, I will send the links to everyone to go and check out your work and. Uh, keep doing what you're doing man it's amazing I just love the fact that you're doing these I love listening to them and I'm sure that uh, everyone listening is grateful that you're putting time and energy into this because they're awesome chats and you're speaking with you've had some amazing people on and I just love listening yeah well you being one of them thanks buddy this has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com check us out on Facebook and join in conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.